up? This is Patrick. Welcome to episode 25 of the WETF podcast, everything except the football. I hope you guys are doing great. Today, this is part two of my conversation with Tom Neuerberg. We focused on the quick and quirky questions, but of course, as always, I added a couple other questions. So I hope you enjoy. And um, if you want to contribute to the show financially, you can do so at paypal.me slash eetfpod. You can join the awesome club. You can join Carly, who donated twice. You can join Kevin. Josh, Nick, Ambags, Hector, and uh, Tom Neuerberg. Again, thank you very much. And uh, also, you can uh, drop us a review on uh, iTunes or anywhere else. If you want to reach us, you can drop us a line on Twitter at EETFpod or by email at EETFpodcast at gmail.com. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation, part two of this conversation with Tom Neuerberg. Thanks. All right, so welcome to part two. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back, Tom. Thank you. And uh, before we start the uh, triple Qs, I forgot to ask you two questions last time. The first one would be, what do you wish you had known about working as a firefighter before you began? Hmm. Maybe how one of the more difficult aspects of it is the long hours and spending those long hours with with different kinds of people that maybe don't uh, think the same as you or feel the same as you. Um, they always say the best part about being a firefighter can also be the worst part, and that's the crew mm-hmm. that you're working with. If you have a good crew, the days and the hours go by fast. If you have a bad crew or, I mean, not, not even necessarily a bad crew, just, you know, someone that you don't necessarily click with, mm-hmm. spending 48 hours with someone like that can seem like a long time. <laughs> so that is one thing that you don't, you don't think about, uh, you know, you think, oh, firehood, the brotherhood, and we all love each other. And no, it's not always that way. You know, <laughs> you don't always get along with everybody and 24 hours or 48 hours with someone like that, that could make for a long time, you know? Long shift, yeah, for sure. Uh, and you still got to have each other's back. Exactly, yeah. That can be challenging. You have to feel like, <laughs> yeah, even though me and this guy may not be the best of buddies off duty, I still got to feel like he's got my best interests in mind when we're out on a call, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I usually did feel that way. But just sometimes uh, people aren't necessarily the people you would choose to spend uh, 48 hours with and you have to because (laughs) you work with them, you know? And uh, well, actually this answer links well to my next question earlier. You mentioned being uh, woken up to go to a, uh, to Mm -hmm. a fire. I guess, again, I have no idea, but I guess during night shift, everyone gets as much sleep as rest as they can. And one person stays awake. No, no, we can, everyone can go to sleep. Okay. You know, and then a call comes in and everybody wakes up. There are no rules like that where, okay, at least one person has to stay awake. Guys told me how back in the old days, Mm -hmm. let's say it was a small department, like three stations, four stations. If one crew got a call in the middle of the night, even if it was just like a medical call, the tones would wake up everyone Mm. at all the stations. And they were all required to get up, get out of bed (laughs) and like go sit at the table and wait until that crew was done with their call. 
And I remember asking them, well, why? Why did you do that? And they were kind of like, uh, uh, you know what? I'm, I don't know. <laughs> we just did, you know? It's always been that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one had to stay up. You know, we all went to bed. Now, sometimes if you worked with a guy who was a, a real heavy sleeper, mm-hmm. sometimes you had guys that, you know, you'd have to go make sure that they woke up when a call came in. Okay, so I worked 28 years just about. Mm-hmm. And that happened to me about maybe three times where I slept through the, the, the alarm <laughs> and someone, yeah. And, and one of my guys had to come and wake me up and, Oh, is that a terrible feeling? <laughs> that is the worst feeling in the world to be all of a sudden feel someone tugging at your foot and you wake up and there's a guy standing at your bed with all this gear on saying, come on, come on. And uh, you know what I mean? You just feel like you're uh, behind the eight ball, you know, from the yeah. get go. Cause you just feel like you're behind and, I know it happened to me once when I was an engineer, so I was driving and, oh, just just terrible. That is the worst feeling in the world. Because you keep everyone waiting. Yeah, yeah. And, and you feel like, okay, well, whoever called, they have an emergency and they're expecting to get there and I slept through it. And I mean, like, luckily that only happened like two or three times to me, but oh, worst feeling <laughs> in the world. Isn't it uh, strange though that they waited until they had their full gear on to wake you up? Well, because what happened was... Let's say we all had our own bedroom. So they woke up, they walked out to the rig, put on their gear, jumped on the rig, sat there a minute and I, okay, where is he? Mm. Uh, I better go in and see what's, and then they come back in and, you know, you know what it's like? It's like when you have those dreams, you know, those dreams you have where um, (laughs) you're in school and you uh, forgot your pencil for the big test or, uh, (laughs) and there's nothing you can do about that. It's like that and it becomes real. You know, Ouch. <laughs> and it's, oh, yeah, horrible feeling. <laughs> so you answered uh, another question, actually. I was wondering if it was like like an open area with uh, bunk beds or something. No, actually, everyone had their own bedroom? Well, it depends on the station. Okay. When I first started, there were stations that had, uh, you know, like a double house we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. where you had six, seven, eight people working there. And there we did have stations that was just an open room with bunk beds and it looked like an old, you know, like a military style, um, barracks barracks. Yeah. Well, what happened was when I got hired, I got hired with three other people, right? Four of us. One of the four was a female and she was the first female in our department. Okay. So what they did was they got these like six, seven foot portable barriers, walls, and they set them up in between the, um, beds to get some privacy. Mm -hmm. You know, nowadays if they're, if they build a new fire station, They're built with separate bedrooms. Okay. Because of that type of thing. You know, we have more females and, you know, people want their privacy. It's not like the old days where the good old boys and we all sleep in the same room. <laughs> so those days, at least in my department, mm-hmm. those days are over. There are no open area dormitory style bedrooms. There, There is privacy. And um, what's the representation these days? The percentage of uh, women? It's still, yeah, it's still a low percentage. My department right now, has approximately 400 people, mm-hmm. you know, of uh, online personnel, suppression personnel. Of those 400, I don't know the exact number, but I would say we have 20 females. Okay. So that's about you know? 5%. Yeah. So it's it's still a pretty low number, but you know, when I started, there was only one. So progress. They made some yeah, progress. For yeah. sure. Okay. And before <laughs> those questions keep getting into my mind, This is completely uh, hypothetical, but um, is there a city 
that you would have liked to work in as a firefighter more than other cities? When I first got promoted to captain, they sent me to Berkeley and I was there for about four and a half years. And I really enjoyed working there because I enjoyed that feeling of working in a big city. It was kind of a tough commute for me because that of all of our stations, that was the one that was the farthest from my house. So the commute was rough, but I enjoyed working there. I enjoyed being in a big city. My area included a lot of the Cal Berkeley campus. Okay. So we responded onto the campus a lot. I enjoyed that. Also within my area was the Cal Berkeley football stadium. Oh, nice. <laughs> so if we were on duty and there was a football game going on, we'd go down there. And this was <laughs> and you're you're a football guy, so it was perfect timing. I was in Berkeley. Those four years I was in Berkeley was mm-hmm. the same time that Cal Berkeley football team had Aaron Rodgers, Marshawn Lynch, wow, Deshaun Jackson. At the same time, they had a big rivalry going on with USC. Mm-hmm. And that's when USC had Matt Leinert and Pete Carroll was the coach. Wow. <laughs> so you can bet when, you know, when there was a Cal game going on, we went down there. And if there was Cal versus USC, oh, you know, we were down there. <laughs> and then also in my area was the UC Berkeley Greek Theater. Okay. So there were concerts. Oh. And so if there was a concert, we'd go down there, <laughs> right? And so, because, uh, you know, I always told my crew, why not? We end up going down there anyway for a call, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, like when Cal football is playing, there's 80,000 people down there. So, you know, we're going to end up down there for a medical call or something. So, hell, we might as well be down there anyway. But like at the Greek theater, we'd go, we'd walk backstage and, oh man, I saw so many great concerts there on duty. You know, I saw, <laughs> I, I saw Tom Petty, Death Cab for Cutie, Arcade Fire. Oh my gosh, I can't even think of all of them now. I went down there early one day and watched Radiohead do their sound check. Okay. And apparently Tom York does not like people in uniform being around him. Okay. That guy gave me the death stare, you know? <laughs> you know the saying, if looks could kill. Well, if looks could kill, Tom York would have murdered me. Wow. <laughs> so that was great, just having little perks like that. And I don't know if you're familiar with in Berkeley, they're a very famous street called uh, Telegraph, Telegraph Avenue. Oh, okay, no. Okay, that was like the center of a lot of the, the 60s stuff that went on, you know, in Berkeley. And on Telegraph Avenue, there's a lot of uh, famous shops and restaurants and street vendors. Mm-hmm. And so every day when we would have to go to the store to get our food for dinner, and then we'd always say, well, let's do a Telegraph run. And we <laughs> would do a big loop and drive down Telegraph Avenue. And I can remember driving down Telegraph Avenue. I'm in the front seat of a fire engine. And something came on the radio, like, I don't know, it might've been Motorhead, you know? (laughs) And I remember telling the guy driving, I go, man, if you would have told me when I was a teenager that I'd be driving down Telegraph in the front seat of a fire engine with Motorhead on the radio, I would have said, you're crazy. I go, man, it's like (laughs) a dream come true. (laughs) So those were good times. I enjoyed working in Berkeley, you know, lots of quirky people there, lots of people there that still think it's the (laughs) sixties. But then also a lot of very smart people, you know, working at the Berkeley Laboratory and Cal Berkeley. Mm -hmm. So you really got to meet a lot of interesting people working there, you know. So, yeah, I like that. Nice. Yeah, yeah, excellent. I really didn't expect those uh, perks, like you mentioned, uh, you know, dropping by a football game. And uh, (laughs) that's pretty awesome. All right. So, okay, we can start the um, triple Qs if you want. Okay. The uh, quick and quirky questions. 
Okay, first, would you rather speak all languages or play all musical instruments? Okay, now this one I've thought about, and this one I've heard other people answer on the other episodes. And to me, I would love to be able to play all, all instruments. I <laughs> love it. And maybe that sounds selfish. You know, I've heard other people answer, oh, I'd, I'd like to speak all languages so I could connect with all people of the world. You know, and that's, that's fine. That's kind but, of my answer. Do I speak that way? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm just giving you better. But, but I, I mean, I look at it this way. That's true. But how often, it's not often that you run into people, you know, that speak another language. Where at, maybe where you live, maybe it's more so there, you know, but in my, let's just say in my life, mm-hmm. it, my experience, that doesn't happen that much. But if I could play every instrument, mm-hmm. I would be doing that every day. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That makes sense. I would be doing it every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I worked with a guy who could play the guitar great. I mean, he was a really great guitar player. And whenever I'd see him, I'd be like, Hey Jim, well, so you've been playing the guitar and he'd be like, Oh, you know what? I haven't picked that thing up in six months. And I'd be like, dude, are you crazy? I go, if I could play the guitar as good as you, you'd have to pry that thing out of my hands. You know, I'd be playing it every day. So I feel like if I could, if I really could play instruments well, mm-hmm. that, man, I, I just feel like I'd be doing that all the time, you know? Now, speaking the different languages would be great. Like in my life now, it would mostly come in handy if I was traveling, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, it would have come in a lot more handy when I was still working for the fire department, you know, because yeah, I did come true. across people. And um, I actually, at one point, I remember I went and bought some of those those CDs, you know, that you listen to. And I was trying to learn how to speak Spanish better mm-hmm. or at least ex- understand it better because it was it's very frustrating, you know, when you're trying to help someone and you can't understand, you know, what they're trying to tell you, mm-hmm. especially if they're in physical pain or, yeah. you know, they, they got an emergency going on and, they, and you can't understand what they're trying to tell you. And so I remember I, I tried to get some discs and learned because I'm like, man, I want to be able to understand. But I just don't run into that as much now, you know, because I'm retired. But Mm -hmm. hey, you know, in a perfect world, I'd do them both. I'd know all the languages (laughs) and play all their instruments. But if I had to pick... I'd go with musical instruments. Yeah, that works. All right. Okay, next question. If you could get a ticket to any show or event, music or sports, what would you like a ticket to? Well, I think one of the most obvious ones for us music fans would be something like Live Aid. You know, Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have been there. What about an event like, um, how great would it have been to be in the stands of the Olympics? Like when Jesse Owens won. Yeah, that's a great shout the track thing. I mean, man, that would have been great. And if I could go back in time, I wouldn't mind having a ticket and going back to that first Thin Lizzy concert I went to. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, but I mean, come on, Live Aid. We all wish we could have been at Live Aid, you know. Uh, any music fan of our age remembers that day. And yeah. But yeah, historical, boy, it sure would be nice to be there that day that Jesse Owens won and shoved it in Hitler's face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, 1936. Would you have gone to Philadelphia or London? Probably London because, you know, U2, they're one of my top three, right? Mm -hmm. I really feel like that was the day that U2 became superstars, was that that performance that day. I mean, they were already a known band. They were, I mean, I already loved them at that point, but I just remember watching them that day and it was like, oh yeah. That was was (laughs) the day Bono became Bono, I think, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Nice. All right, so switching gears completely. Next question. What is your favorite insect? Okay, 
I don't know if you'd consider this my favorite insect, insect, but when I was a kid, I used to see these bugs all the time and I don't see them anymore. It's almost like they disappeared. Hmm. And we used to call them roly polies. Okay. I think they, people also call them a potato bug and they were really small. Okay. And they were almost like a, a tiny little, like a centipede, uh-huh. but tiny. And it had like a, a shell back. But the thing is, if you touched it, it rolled up into a ball huh. as a protection mode thing. Okay. And I never see those anymore. When I was a kid, we used to see those everywhere, you know, crawling through the grass or whatever. And I never, ever see those anymore. It's almost like they disappeared. So Probably because of the climate change. I, I don't know. Huh. It's the weirdest thing. And then my other one would be, um, I loved fireflies when I was a kid. Yeah. And where I live, like out here in California, we don't have those. And my mom and dad are both from Iowa. Okay. And so as a kid, we'd go back there about every two or three years, we'd go back there in the summer. My dad had eight brothers and sisters. They'd have a um, family reunion. Mm-hmm. And so we'd go back there and we'd see those fireflies in the summer. And oh my God, we, we were just amazed by those things, you know? <laughs> so uh, those would be my two, I guess. The roly-poly and the firefly. Okay. Yeah. Excellent answers. And uh, by the way, an- another aside, how come your parents moved to California? Uh, my dad was in the Air Force. And so he got sent out here. There's an Air, Air Force base in the Bay Area, Travis Air Force Base. Okay. He got sent out here and he got sent here in 1958. Uh-huh. That was the same year that the San Francisco Giants came here from New York which is why our family was such big Giants fans. Ah, okay. And also why we are more for the 49ers because the Raiders weren't here yet either. The Raiders and the A's, they both came here in 68. Okay. So my mom and dad had already been here 10 years. And even though we lived in the East Bay, that's that's why we like the San Francisco teams. Okay. But anyway, that's how come he ended up out here. Okay. And uh, 1958, um, he probably... I mean, I don't know if the age fits, but did he have to go to Vietnam? Or? No, no, he was he was done by then. Okay, yeah, yeah. My dad now is like eighty four years old, I think. So he's he was in the service, but he, I don't think he saw any like you know wartime. Okay, I think he just missed it. He was kind of in between, you know. Okay, Vietnam and whatever came before that. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. He lucked, <laughs> he lucked out. <laughs> yeah. All right. So next question. What scene from a movie scarred you for life? This is a funny question because I just posted a thing on Facebook about this the other day. And it's the guy in the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Mm-hmm. And the guy who plays the child catcher. Mm-hmm. You know, because he goes around. There's like a town where no kids are allowed. or And this guy goes around chasing kids. And, and he's got a big net. And he catches him in his net. And he looks like... Uh, He almost has like a goth look to him. You know, he's got long black hair, pale white skin, big nose. And man, those scenes with that guy, oh, they scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> I can remember just not being able to sleep at night. You know, I being so afraid of, of that character. I've heard of that movie, but I've never seen it. You know, I just, I was watching a little bit on, it was on TV the other night. And man, it's For a kid's movie, it's so long. It's like two and a half hours long. They really expected kids to sit and have a <laughs> have a long attention span. There's even an intermission in it, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. But it's got Dick Van Dyke. He's always one of my favorites. You know, I always loved Dick Van Dyke. But as a kid, you know, that movie came out when I was pretty little. And uh, yeah, that guy just scared the hell out of me. The child <laughs> catcher. 
right. Okay, so next question. What is the best nickname you've ever heard? Oh, I love the Jack the Ripper, my favorite ball player, Jack Clark. Yep. Mm-hmm. He was Jack the Ripper. I love that nickname. Nice. Yeah. That's the kind of nickname you want to have. You know, that's a badass nickname. Yeah, absolutely. That reminds me, you remember Jack McDowell from the uh, Chicago White Sox and the Yankees after that? There was this playoff game, I think, that he flipped the bird to the crowd as he was walking off the mound. Yeah. And I think it was the New York Post. The headline the next day was Jack the Flipper. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, but he probably didn't like that one. Probably. He was a really intense guy, McDowell, if I remember. Yeah, he was. (laughs) Memories. All right. So next question. What would you name your boat if you had one? Well, I'll tell you this. I don't think I'd ever want a boat. I can tell you that right off the top of my head. (laughs) Um, When I was working in San Leandro, I was stationed there for nine, nine and a half years. My station, in addition to having a, a fire engine, we also had a boat. We also had the rescue boat. Oh, wow. And so we... Yeah, okay. we responded out onto the bay, you know, for for water rescue calls. Okay. And I'll tell you, that thing, um, it kind of ruined any love I might have for boating <laughs> because, man, when you go out on the bay and it's a choppy day and you're responding fast, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, that beats the hell. It beats the hell out of you physically, you know? It physically beats the hell out of you. Man, I got to the point there, when, you know, we had special tones that would go off when it was a water rescue call. Ah, uh, okay. The, the alarm sounded a little bit different. And it got to the point where when those tones would go off and we'd just be like, oh, no. You know? <laughs> Especially if it was like a cold, stormy day and you knew it was going to be rough out there on the water. But anyway, if I did have a boat, I would think I would name it something like, um, maybe I'd name it the Black Rose after uh, the Thin Lizzy album. Okay. Black Rose. Huh. That kind of sounds like a cool name for a boat. And it also works because usually, you know, boats have female names usually yeah, kind of yeah, so yeah. that works okay yeah good shout and uh well okay again quick question from your answer do you remember a lot of people getting seasick on the way to uh, an emergency uh no not on the way to an emergency but we had a real big um this very big training drill that happened once a year it was called um urban shield Okay. Mm-hmm. And this was a, like a two day training exercise that took place. It was with both police and fire. And there were multiple scenarios throughout the county that, like, the cops would do maybe like a SWAT scenario. Our search and rescue guys would do a building clap scenario. Mm-hmm. Well, we did uh, water rescue scenarios for that thing. Okay. And it would go on all day, right? So we, we had like five different scenarios we had to do. So we'd be out on the water for like eight hours. And, and I remember we had a guy that worked for our department and he was like a videographer mm-hmm. and a photographer. And he would go around our department all the time, taking pictures, taking videos. Sometimes he'd show up on calls. Sometimes he'd come to drills. And I remember he was assigned to us that day. They told, hey, you go with the boat guys, get some video of them. That poor guy, he got seasick. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he got seasick right away. <laughs> and, uh, and it was funny. Um, I mean, he was just miserable. I felt so sorry for him and I was trying to give him some tips because everything he was doing, he was doing the wrong thing that would make it even worse. You know, like he went down below deck and I'm like, no, dude, you got to come up, come yep. up, you know? Mm-hmm. And anyway, we were able to get him off the boat. You know, I, I radioed for somebody, Hey, come out and get, get this guy. He is so sick. And, um, you do these drills. It's a competition, right? You're trying to there's either a time element to it or whatever. 
well, our crew and all the departments of the county, you know, came to this. Well, our crew, we took, I think, second place, you know, in the water rescue. Mm -hmm. So the following night, they have a big banquet reception at like the Marriott Hotel in downtown Oakland. And they award people their awards, you know, so we won the award and the guy, you know, who presented it to us is um, that guy, Tom Ridge. I think he might've been the governor of, of Pennsylvania, okay. but then he was the very first guy that was the leader of uh, Homeland Security, you know, when they, uh, okay, when they developed that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he was the guy that handed me the award. Nice. <laughs> but the funny thing was, is at the end of this banquet, they played a video, you know, like a highlight video of all the day's events. We were literally in the video for like one and a half seconds. <laughs> and it was all because our guy got sick yeah. and he wasn't there to film us doing any of our stuff. <laughs> wow, that sucks. <laughs> but no, I, ne- I never did get seasick because we were usually, it's when things slow down a little bit and you're, you can start thinking about like, oh God, I've been on this boat a long time. That's when it starts getting you, you know? Yeah. But don't get me wrong. We had fun times. You know, I mean, there there were fun times out on that boat training. I mean, I drove that boat underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. I drove that boat out in McCovey Cove, which is that water area. Behind the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I drove that boat, you know, through there. I've driven that boat out into the middle of the San Francisco Bay and jumped out and swam, you know. (laughs) So we, we did have fun, but it physically was hard on your body, you know, doing that. So I guess you had to learn how to drive the boat. Yeah. Yeah. When I got sent to that station, I had to learn it pretty much on my own or my guys that were there taught me. Okay. Because, you know, I had no real boating experience in my personal life. I've never owned a boat or anything. Think about this, Patrick. It's not even about operating the boat, but how about you got to learn how to um, drive the truck that tows the boat. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) And back the boat down the marina so you can launch the boat. Mm -hmm. I've never owned a boat. I've never owned a trailer. So I had to learn that, you know, before I could even learn how to operate the boat, I had to learn how to tow the damn thing down to the marina, you know, Jesus. <laughs> because here's the thing, when you're in the fire department and you go out in public and you do anything, there's always going to be people watching you, mm, right? For sure. Yeah. It could be citizens or it could be a, a news camera, but you don't want to be the guy who's trying to get this boat in the water for an emergency and you can't back it down the ramp. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> So when I first got to that station, I was out there every day practicing, you know, I'd pull the boat out just in front of the station because we were kind of on a busy street. Mm -hmm. I'd pull it out and I'd kind of, you know, maybe do a big circle and then I'd back it in Mm -hmm. and I would just do that over and over and over until it got to the point where I I could put that thing on a dime, you know? Nice. (laughs) But when I first got there, I didn't know how to do it. So I had to learn because I'm like, I'll be damned if I'm going to be the guy live on channel five news. You know, hey, look at the firefighter. He can't back the <laughs> boat down. Meanwhile, little Johnny is out in the water drowning, you know. <laughs> you don't want to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. All right. Next question. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm sure you got some something good for that one. Where is the worst smelling place you've ever oh, been gosh. in? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, come on. I've I've smelled some bad, bad things. Okay. <laughs> um People, I mean, listen, I don't want to get too gross, but dead bodies after three or four days, you never forget that smell. I believe you. (laughs) And just on a daily basis, I mean, one thing I learned when you asked me something earlier about like, what didn't I know about the fire department Mm -hmm. or, you know, I'll tell you one thing that I I learned quickly Mm -hmm. was how many people live like 
pigs. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) When I first got in there, I was shocked at how many houses we went into were dirty, nasty, smelly, messy, stinky. Jesus. And I'll tell you what, it got to the point where we were more shocked when we went into a nice clean house. Wow. That was more shocking than a messy, nasty, stinky house. (laughs) So, so you know what our trick was? I bet every firefighter will tell you this. You know what you always carry in your pocket? A little container of uh, Vicks. Vicks, yes. Like uh, Silence of the Lambs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's something in movies. That's, that's real life. Okay. You do that. You take a little dab of that, put it in your nose. And uh, that is not an exaggeration. We truly do do that. All right. Okay, so not to be gross again, like you mentioned, but there has to be one one event that was like, okay, this stops everything else. <laughs> you know what, Patrick, there is, and there's no way I could tell you it without it being too... I'm telling you, it, it'll be too gross. Okay. You don't want this on your show. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just put it this way. When you die, your body lets loose, right? Your body mm-hmm. lets yes. loose everything. Yes. So your body lets loose everything. So there's that smell. Mm-hmm. And then let's say you're lying there three or four days before someone finds you. Mm-hmm. There's that smell. Yes. And let's just say insects like that stuff. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Us humans don't, but insects do, and it's bad. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh, Jesus. We are talking California. We are not like talking Alaska. Yeah. In, in the cold. That doesn't yeah. help either. <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, my, the one that was so bad was we had just got done eating dinner. And so you walk into something like that with a nice full stomach. And it, that's the closest I've ever come to actually like vomiting. I, I've been with guys who've vomited. Uh-huh. Okay. I never have, thank God. But I came close on that one. And oh, you know what made it even worse was the person that we responded to, the dead body. Uh-huh. We had just been on a call on her like a week earlier. Oh. Yeah. So that was kind of sad. You know, she was a she was a person who probably didn't have all of her marbles together. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And I think she might have been, uh, probably was a drinker. And she lived alone. She lived in this little condo apartment type thing right across the street from this little mom and pop grocery store. And she had fallen in the grocery store and hit her head. And so we responded to her. and. Uh, she was being very um, aggressive and she was being very un- uncooperative, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, we're just trying to be, hey, man, we're here to help. Oh, leave me alone. Leave me alone. You know, one of those type of people. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we check her out and, you know, you ask, are you A&O alert and oriented? Okay. What year is it? What city are you in? Who's the president? I don't know. Whatever else we asked him. I forget now. She answered all of our questions, right? And she's over 18 years old. So, okay, well, you can go home. So we let her go home. And I remember we were all kind of thinking, man, I bet she'd go to the hospital. Well, like the next day, you know, we saw her out and about walking down the street. So it's like, oh, good. There's, you know, Martha or whatever her name is. Mm -hmm. And then a week later, she was the one that we got called to the house. And she had been laying there for a long time. It was an ugly scene. She's covered with, covered in ants and bugs and uh, many, many open uh, wounds, uh, alcohol containers around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, oh, dude, I'm telling you, it was bad. It was really bad. Uh, overdose? I don't know. I don't know. To be, She'd been dead so long, there's nothing we could do, right? Okay, yeah. So, 
And luckily, that's something that changed. When I first got in the fire department, if we came on a dead body, we had to work it up, even when it was just obvious that like, okay, this person's dead, you know? (laughs) That was something that got changed later on. And and you know what? That was a godsend because that was horrible sometimes. You're working on bodies that are dead. They're not coming back. And sometimes they're like family members or they're watching. And and it just, it was horrible for everybody, you know? So it was called um, Signs of Obvious Death or something like that. And trust me, she fit the criteria. (laughs) I'll tell you, on this call, the cops that came in there with me, even they were gagging, okay? It was bad. So yeah, I'll never forget that one. Horrible. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Okay, next question. When did you screw everything up, but no one ever found out it was you? Okay, you want to hear a bad story? This is <laughs> please. This is horrible. <laughs> and I think the only person I ever told this to, I think I told my wife this story, and I never told anybody else this, this story. So now I'm going to say it on a Until podcast. Until now, yeah. <laughs> If you're okay when, with it, of course. Oh, yeah, yeah, because enough time has passed. Okay. Um, When I was a teenager, my mom worked at the distribution center for JCPenney's, which mm-hmm. was like a department store. Mm-hmm. And so her boss went on vacation and her boss had a dog. Uh, she had a basset hound. We always loved that dog, like whenever we happen to see it, you know. And so her boss went on vacation and asked us, you guys want to babysit the dog? I can't even remember the dog's name now. It might have been George. You guys want to babysit George? And we were like, oh, yeah, we'd love to, you know. <laughs> so that dog came and stayed at our house for like four or five days. So we were babysitting, right? Well, what I love to do back then, actually, I still do it now. The only real weightlifting I do these days is, um, you know, you lay down on a bench and you do dumbbells, you yep. know, um, what would you call that? Like like a dumbbell press or whatever? Isn't it like uh, flies? Is that flies, it? yeah, flies. That, okay. So I'm laying on this bench, I'm doing, I got like the 35 pound dumbbells and I'm doing flies. Mm-hmm. No one else is around. I think it was late at night, probably, everyone was probably in bed. Well, I didn't realize it, but George, the dog, he came walking up to me as I was doing this. And as I brought the dumbbell down, mm-hmm. I conked him right on the head, you know, <laughs> okay, like pretty hard. And, uh, and he kind of, you know, yelped a little bit like, but then he acted fine mm-hmm. and I kind of forgot about it. And then like a, oh God, a week later after we gave the dog back. My mom comes home from work and she goes, you aren't going to believe it. George died. <laughs> I go, why? What happened? She goes, well, they don't know. They said he kind of, um, I forget, you know, if he collapsed or if he had a seizure or something. And they took him to the vet and the vet said, oh, yeah, he had a, a crack in his skull. And I'm like, oh, my God. Jesus. That was me. I never told any. I felt so bad. I mean, it was a complete accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Oh my God. I love dogs. I felt so bad about that. And now that I'm telling you, I'm thinking, shit, I shouldn't even tell you now. This is like, <laughs> this is like 35 years ago, you know, but oh yeah, no one ever found out, but man, felt terrible about that. Yeah. Next question. What is the most interesting thing you've read or seen this week? Well, I'll tell you what, this is something I just read the other day. When I turned 40, my wife wanted to give me a nice surprise And she wanted me to go do skydiving. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it. You know, I, I just did not want to do it. I just felt really, I just felt weird about it. Like, I don't know. I'm afraid something's going to go wrong, you know? Okay. Well, the place that she wanted me to go do this at is in a town called Lodi, which is about 45 minutes from here. And they have a skydiving thing there. 
Well, that place has had so many people get killed from skydiving accidents. Uh-huh. And so just the other day, I look at my phone and my wife texts me this article from the San Francisco Chronicle. And the guy that runs that place, he was arrested because there's been so many deaths at that skydiving place that he was arrested for negligence. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And she said, and I'm like, okay, see? Trust your instincts. That could have been me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and besides, like, you're not an adrenaline junkie. You've had your shares of uh, thrills yeah. during your career. So, you know. Yeah. You know, me and my buddy, we were just talking about that yesterday and we were saying how, man, I got really no desire to do that. I don't need to go skydiving. I don't need to go bungee jumping. I mean, what if you go skydiving and you get killed over? Wouldn't you feel like an idiot? Like, yes. Man, now my wife's a widow. My kids don't have their dad all because I was trying to get my thrills, you know? Yeah, that's not worth it. But, you know, some people love it. Some people thrive on that kind of stuff, you know? Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. And also, I don't want to sound cheap, but it's a lot of money for the few minutes that it lasts, you know? Yeah, yeah. So how about we go bowling someday instead? Yeah, that's low risk. (laughs) (laughs) That works. (laughs) All right. So next question. If you were given a one minute ad slot during the Super Bowl that you couldn't sell, you have to use it. What would you fill it with? You know what? I I don't even know how to word this, but I just wish I could come up with an ad that would bring some unity to the people these days. You know? Yeah. I don't know what it's like in Canada, but man, United States, we are a divided nation these days more than ever it seems oh man it's terrible it it really is terrible and it's to the point where it's just it's seeping into everything you know you can't even go to a family get together or go out with friends without there's almost an underlying tension Mm -hmm. in every damn thing these days you know especially if you know your friend or your family member feels a certain way about certain things that you don't and man it's just There's always that elephant in the room the last few years. And I don't even know how to word it, but man, if I could come up with an ad that could somehow bring people together a little bit, yeah, that's what I would love to be able to do. Yeah, that's a great answer. Maybe that's a utopia, but it's still a great answer. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so next question. If you could live in anyone's head for 15 minutes, a la being John Malkovich, who would you choose? I would love to be inside of Bruce Springsteen right in the middle of one of his concerts and see what that's like. Mm-hmm. To have his energy, to have his performing ability, and then also to see the love and the feedback coming from that crowd, you know? That has to be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to be able to experience that and feel it, you know? It must be something else. Yeah, I get that. It's like the, the same thrill as skydiving, but mine is danger, yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> All right, so next question. You are on death row. Tomorrow, it's curtains. But you get to choose the way you will be executed. You know, no matter the logistics involved, you can go big or small, however you like it. How do you want to go? Well, this is a no-brainer to me. Let me swallow a handful of sleeping pills and follow it up with a, a couple beers or something and just go to sleep, you know? Yeah. There's no pain. It's peaceful. I'm sure you probably just feel like you're... Drifting Drifting off to sleep, you know? To me, there's no other way. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I guess some skydiving fans would say, you know, drop me off a plane without a parachute, (laughs) you know, or something like that. (laughs) I know, but you're thinking about it the whole way down and you're anticipating, you know? Yeah. 
some people are wired in different ways, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want any, uh, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. Even in my death, I don't want adrenaline. I just, <laughs> I just want to go to sleep. Yeah, and that's it. Sounds good. Okay, so next question. Your superpower is that you can give phobias to people. What would you make people afraid of? And this is another one that's going to sound like a utopia. But how about giving people the fear of <laughs> the fear of being an asshole? You know? Yeah, that came up before oh, yeah, in, okay. in previous episodes, but that's good. That's excellent. <laughs> Because, boy, do we have a, an abundance of that these days, you know? <laughs> yes. How about the fear of, like, offending people and, and the fear of not being nice to your fellow man, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it, uh, it doesn't cost anything to be nice. Yeah. Well, you know what's my pet peeve? My pet peeve is when people are jackasses and they just say terrible things and then their excuse is always, oh, I'm sorry, I, I don't have a filter. I just don't have a filter. Yeah. I hate that excuse because to me, anyone who's saying I don't have a filter, basically what they're saying is I'm an asshole. I'm an asshole and I don't want to make the effort of not being an asshole for 15 seconds. Exactly. You know? Okay, You don't have a filter, well, develop a filter, you know? Yeah. It's called being a decent human being. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So next question. Would you rather win $2 million tax-free, no questions, or wake up tomorrow still in 2021, but 10 years younger? Oh, 10 years younger. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I mean, especially if I'm like basically the same person, but 10 years younger, mm -hmm. that would fall into that category of, oh boy, if I only knew then what I know now, you know, but yeah, two, I mean, plus... Remember, Patrick, I live in California. Two million bucks isn't that much, okay? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> And now if you said 20 million? I was going to say that. <laughs> okay, then I'd probably take the money. Okay. Then I could pack in uh, 10 years worth of living by yes. just, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. You can make other people around you enjoy it as well. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? That's funny. That's another thing I was just talking about with my friends uh, yesterday. We were talking about how these guys that are these guys that are so rich like Trump and Bezos mm -hmm. and guys like that they're so rich yet they always seem to just be wanting more yes and i was seeing how you know i am 100% confident that if i was that rich as those guys i would be out there spreading my money around and helping people making people happy and even something as simple as i i go wouldn't it be great if like you were so rich like those guys are You're driving around town, you're walking around town, and maybe you come across like an auto shop, you know, where people are getting their cars fixed. Mm -hmm. And you just pop in there and say, Hey, everybody, it's on me. Who's ever car is in here getting <laughs> fixed, it's on me. That would be a, just a drop in the bucket for those guys. Mm -hmm. But those people that they did that to, they would be so surprised and so happy, you know, yeah. because they were talking about how uh, my friend was saying how he really likes the fact that Bezos' ex wife, you know, since they've got divorced, she's, she's been giving away so much money, you know? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. I, I go, why wouldn't you do that? Nobody needs $300 billion. Help some people with it, you know? I, I forgot how much uh, she got. Isn't it like uh, 20 or 40 bills? I don't know, but it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And she's been finding charities and stuff, and she's been being very um, altruistic with it, you know? Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I would love to be in a position to do that. And just you walk in the grocery store. Hey, okay, all you people in line, 
I got it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's on me today. You know, nice. that would be so fun to do. Yeah. And just think of how happy that would make people. Yeah. You know, not true. And also like for those people, whether they are worth, I don't know, like a hundred million or 25 billion, that cannot change anything to their daily life. You know, exactly. they're still going to have a private jet and a, you know, and a driver and a bodyguard. And, you know, at some point it's just a number. Well, they have more money than they're ever going to spend in, in 20 lifetimes. Yeah. You know, I'm not even mentioning what you could do as far as giving money to charity, cancer research, something like that. I'm talking about just the, the happiness you could bring people on. I mean, look how happy people get when they go to Starbucks and someone pays for their coffee. You know what I mean? <laughs> True. I mean, how often do you see people posting on Facebook? Oh, the nicest thing happened to me today. The guy in front of me, you know, and that's a, that's a $4 cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. So what if you're in the shop getting your car fixed and it's going to cost you 5,000 bucks and Joe Blow walks in and says, hey, hey Patrick, I got it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, you'd be so happy, you know, yeah. and you'd remember that the rest of your life and you'd walk out of there so happy that you probably then go out and treat everybody else better, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> That's true. Would be nice. Next question. What is the best compliment you've ever received? Well, my wife tells me this all the time, and I, and I think it is a good compliment because it's something I pride myself on. And she always tells me that I have really good discernment. Hmm. Like when it comes to figuring people out, like I'm pretty good at figuring people out. You know what I mean? Like within the first five minutes, okay, I can usually figure out like, oh yeah, this guy's a nice guy or oh no, this guy's an asshole. I don't <laughs> think we want any part of it. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I'm pretty good at that. And she admits it too. She'll say, yep, you were right. You're right about this guy. You were right about that guy. And uh, it makes me happy that she sees and agrees like, oh yeah, you are pretty good at that, you know? (laughs) So that brings another question again. Would something like being a cop, would it have interested you? No. Or maybe the military since your your dad was in the Air Force? There's two things in my life that if you want to call them regrets – Mm-hmm. that I kind of wish I would have done, that I feel like I missed out on. And yes, I would have liked to go in the military, like even if it was just for like two years, you know? Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have gone to like a big four-year college. Okay. Those are two experiences in my life that I kind of feel like, oh, I think I would have liked doing that. I don't think I ever would have been, want to be like a career military guy. Mm-hmm. And I don't, no, I never had any interest in being a cop, you know? Whenever the firefighter job started to overlap with the cop job, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't like it that much. You know, like there was a few times, you know, I had to get physical with people and maybe like restrain them or something and, uh, or had to get angry with people and maybe yell at them. And, you know, I don't, I don't like that. I didn't want to do that. Like even now when I'm retired and I can't remember if I told you this earlier, but I got a little fun little side job being an usher at the, uh, at a minor league baseball park. No, no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of years ago, um, I got that job. There's a minor league baseball team 25 minutes away from my house. It's it's the single A team for the Oakland A's. Okay. And they're, they're called the Stockton Ports. And so after I, re- I retired, I was like, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to go try to get a job at the baseball park. And so I got a job there as an usher. And I basically just stand there. I help people find their seats. And other than that, I just make chit chat with people, you know, it's been pretty fun. I've met some interesting people there just, just by striking up conversations. Mm -hmm. But I even told them, you know, when they, I had my little job interview with them, I said, Hey, look, as the usher, am I going to have to like kick people out of the game if they're drunk or if they're rowdy? 
And they said, oh, no, no, you just tell security and they'll take care of that. And I'm like, okay, good. I go, because I have no interest in doing that. I, you know, yeah. I don't want to be that guy. You know, that's just, that's just not my thing. It becomes another job entirely and maybe not as pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I'm there to have fun. You know, I'm not, I'm not there to get in confrontations with people. I don't, I don't want to do that. Awesome. Perfect. All right. Uh, next question. What is your hometown best known for? Okay. So my hometown is Hayward. That's what I consider my hometown. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if they're, okay. I would say that one thing they're known for in, in the recent years is the fact that Dwayne, the rock Johnson was born there. Oh, okay. I don't think he spent much time there, but he was born there. You know, he was born in a hospital in Hayward. Okay. You know, if, I mean, if you look him up, it'll say that, you know, say he was born in Hayward. <laughs> I don't think he lived there much or anything like that. There's a hard rock band called Y and T. Have you ever heard oh, of that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 They come from the Hayward area. Okay. They, they were my hometown heroes, you know, when I was a teenager. I think that's about it, you know? Well, how many people live in, in that city? About 100,000. Well, when I was there, 100,000. It's probably a little bit more now. So, you know, it was a good size town. Okay. Um, next question. Name me three items on your bucket list. Okay. Well, like I said earlier, I'm trying to visit all the major league ballparks. Mm-hmm. So that's one. I want to uh, travel to more countries. You know, I'd like to see more of the world. Mm-hmm. So that's two, three. What would be a third one? How about, um, can I be able to, uh, although I'm very, very happily married, mm-hmm. I may have to dump my wife and uh, <laughs> uh, go hook up with uh, Sofia Vergara. Okay. okay. <laughs> let's let's put that on the, the bucket list because I know that'll never happen. All right. No, yeah, that's that'll uh, really give me something to shoot for. Okay. <laughs> that is a good answer. <laughs> Perfect. No problem. I, I bet my wife won't think it's a good answer. <laughs> well, maybe because it's a uh, out of reach, it is yeah, acceptable. Yeah, that yeah. If she was your neighbor, that would be a different story. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, next question Is there one question that will instantly tell you whether you can be friends with someone. Do you support Trump? <laughs> I, I say that jokingly because obviously I do have friends, but man, I'm telling you, I really have a hard time overlooking that and all that comes with it, you know? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of baggage with it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've really struggled these last four or five years. That's really, really bothered me. You know, I have family members that have like dumped me off Facebook because I don't support Trump, you know, and a lot of them, they buy into the whole uh, Trump, you know, and the, the Christianity part of it, you know. What What do you mean? Like, well, if you're a good Christian, you support Trump. Ugh. And, you know, I, I mean, I, I am a Christian. I go to church regularly and I just, to me, he represents everything opposite of that, you know. Yeah, so I agree. I've really had a hard time with that the last few years. It's created some tension with family, some family relationships and some friend relationships. Thankfully, that all that seems to have eased a little bit now that he's out of there. Mm-hmm. But man, it's just hard for me to overlook that, you know? I agree. I mean, we have some friends of ours that not only are into Trump, but like have like taken that QAnon oh, stuff. And God. it's like, yeah. And it's like, it makes you look at people in a whole different way, you know? Yeah. Maybe that makes me judgmental, but... If I had friends who were into that, I don't think I could be friends with them anymore. Yeah. Simple as that. And, you know, and I look at like politics in the past, you know, like, you know, like when George W. Bush was in there, I didn't, I didn't like him at all, you know, 
But if someone else liked him, that was more of a matter of um, politics, right? Mm -hmm. And policy. Yes. And you can disagree on that. But this whole Trump stuff and QAnon, to me, that's like, that's a matter of right and wrong, good versus evil. Absolutely. And so I I really have a hard time overlooking that. Um, So I would say in in regards to your question, Mm -hmm. it sounds to me like you're looking at it more more in the way of um, a new person that you're meeting, you know, not not old friend. So like if I was to meet a new person and right off the bat, they were spouting all that stuff. Mm. No, I'm done. Yeah. You know, now with old friends and family, okay, I'm going to try to get through that and overlook that. But if you're a new person and I'm meeting you for the first time, the odds are not good that we're going to be uh, <laughs> uh, skydiving together. <laughs> there you go. And if we are, I might be sabotaging your uh, parachute. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I take advantage of the occasion to say hi to all the, you know, law enforcement people that could be uh, listening. <laughs> Conspiracy for murder. <laughs> all right, now. <laughs> Just, uh, just kidding. Next question. What is the best insult you've ever heard? Okay, Patrick, I'm going to answer this question, but I'm going to answer it without answering. Sure. Okay. So I mentioned earlier, I think me and one of my buddies, we went to Cleveland to watch the Warriors and the Cavaliers, you know, in one yes. of the NBA finals game. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we get to Cleveland, right? And we had a good time. We went to two baseball games while we were there. We went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And then we, so now we go to the basketball game and we're surrounded by Cavalier fans, right? And we both had on our Warriors gear. So we sit down and the game starts and immediately the Cavaliers jumped out to a seven nothing lead. So every time they scored a point with those seven points, this guy is sitting in front of us. He would turn around and look at us and aggressively clap, like kind of right in our face. God. And so after like the third or fourth time he did that, (laughs) I go, dude, why are you looking at us? The game's that way, you know? (laughs) Well, then that opened up the floodgates and he just started laying it on us. Okay. And what you'll find if you go, and I, I hate to say it because it's such a cliche, but a lot of times if you travel the country, Mm -hmm. especially if it's two guys like me and my buddy Mm -hmm. and they find out you're from San Francisco Bay area. Well, what's the first thing they start, you know, they start making, oh, are you guys gay? Are you well, guys yeah. boyfriend? You know, it's, it's that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So he starts in with that. Well, his wife was sitting there and then his wife turned around and she said something to me. I, I, I can't remember what it was. I'll put it to you this way. He laid some very heavy, offensive, homosexual slurs on, on, F- on, word, yeah. the on us. Other F word. Oh, no, worse than that. Like what me and him were going to be doing. You know, uh, you know I mean, God, I mean okay. it, it was very, very offensive. Okay. And then I said, I said very loudly, I go, wow, we've had such a good time here in Cleveland up until tonight. And now this guy has to prove the cliche of what people think about Midwesterners and how close-minded they are, you know? And so then his wife turns around and she goes, how dare you say that about us Midwesterners, you know, something like that. <laughs> And I go, ma'am, did you hear what your husband just said to us? And then she said, no, what? And I told her, and even her eyes got wide. And she was like, oh, my God, he said that to you? She didn't realize that? I guess she didn't hear, you know? Huh, okay. And I said, yes, he did. And so then he turned around, and he said something else to us. 
And all I will say, how can I say this without, without saying, cause I'm not proud. It's one of those things where I'm not proud of what I said, but I am kind of proud of what I said, <laughs> but I, I said something to the wife and I said, ma'am, your husband, he's throwing gay slurs on, on me and my buddy here. Mm-hmm. I go, I can assure you we're not gay. Not that, you know, who cares if we are or not, but we're not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just said something to the effect of, I go, look at my face. I go, stare at my face right now. So she did. And I go, now try not to picture this face later on tonight when you're home with your husband. Okay. But I said it in a different way. And oh, I just feel like, oh, I, I just felt like I nailed that guy so good. And uh, I'm not proud of it, but it was like, man, he was, he was just so out of line and so offensive. No, for sure. you know? yeah. And it's like, I had to think of something and that kind of shut him up. And then the nice part was the Warriors won that game. Oh, nice. And so, you know, as the time was running down, I, I said to my buddy, I go, don't even say anything. Like, don't rub it in that they won. And the time expires. The guy gets up to leave. And then as he walks out, my buddy just said, drive safely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate that um, sports events for some people can mean a green light to say whatever. Yeah. That's one thing about sports events in person that that's disturbing. Yeah. Well, did you hear the story of the guy, the Giants fan who was at the Dodger game in LA and they beat the hell out of him in the parking lot? Yeah. I was at that game. Oh. Okay. I was at that game. That was opening day 2011. Mm-hmm. So it was the year following the Giants first World Series win. Mm-hmm. And I had been to Dodger Stadium before. You know, I've driven down there for Giants games, you know, because like I said, I like to see all the different ballparks, right? So me and my son, we went to that game and it was kind of a last minute decision. We were, you know, we got a ticket online. We went to the game. And I remember the night before my son said, hey, are you going to wear all your Giants gear? And I go, you know what? I go, I'm not. I'm not in the mood to get into it with anybody. You know, I just don't, I just don't feel like it. And so he did. He wore like his shirt and a hat, whatever. So we drive to Dodger Stadium. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it kind of sits on top of a hill. Okay. And you drive up this windy road, you know, that goes into the ballpark. Well, as we're driving up this road, you know, the traffic's kind of backed up and and you kind of drive through a park, you know, so you're driving through this park to get up to the baseball stadium and all these people were in the park, right? And they're all picnicking and they're drinking beer. And if they see Giants fans driving up that road, they were coming over to the cars and screaming and yelling and... I mean, I saw one guy throw a beer can at the car. Jesus. Okay, so we we make it up to the parking lot. You know, I'm paying for the parking. The guy sees my son, you know, wearing the giant stuff. And he looks at us and he goes, good luck in there. So so we pull in. We park the car. We're way far away from the stadium. So we have to walk through the parking lot. And Patrick, I, I have never suffered as much verbal assault as we did walking through that parking lot. Jesus. Long story short, we, we get into the stadium, we sit in our seats. How old uh, was your son back then? Well, uh, let's see. That was 11, so that's 10 years ago. So he's like 22. Okay. Yeah. So he you know, he's not a little kid, you know, he's okay. he's 22. Anyway, we get to our seats, we're sitting on these aisle seats, and every single person that walked past us is getting in our face, right? Fuck. <laughs> and the same stuff, you know, they're throwing all the homosexual slurs at us and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Jesus. And these two girls are sitting next to me. And at one point, one of them turns to me and says, man, I am so sorry that this is happening to you guys. 
And I said, I go, yeah. I go, what the hell's going on here tonight? I go, I've been here before. I've never seen it like this before. And she goes, oh, well, this is opening day. Opening day is the only day that the Dodgers allow people to tailgate in the parking lot. Oh. Yeah. And I go, well, shit. I go, that explains it. Yeah. Everybody in this stadium is drunk tonight. I mean, everybody (laughs) was drunk, you know? God. (laughs) And they were drunk and they were angry. Mm. Okay. And that crowd was the ugliest, nastiest, scariest crowd I've ever been in. Okay. Wow. So anyway, the game ends. Now we're going to go out to the car. And I told my son, I go, dude, we have one goal right now. And that is to get to the car alive. All right. (laughs) I go, so if anybody says anything to you, anybody yells at you, calls you names, I go, don't even react. We just got to get to that car. Mm. So we we get to the car. People are screaming at us, throwing shit at us. We get, we get to the car, we drive out of there. And our original plan, because that's about a four-hour drive home. Mm-hmm. So my original plan was like, hey, let's get out of LA, maybe drive about an hour, and then we'll just get a room at some you know crappy little motel. We'll sleep and then wake up the next morning and come home. Mm-hmm. Well, I get in the car, I start driving. And next thing you know, I'm like, screw it. I'm just going straight home. you know. <laughs> so I come pull, you know, we pull up into our driveway at like 2.30 in the morning. <laughs> I go to bed. I wake up the next morning, open up my computer. And the first story I see is about that guy getting beat up in the parking lot. Jesus. And I'm like, you know what? I go, doesn't surprise me at all. That no. crowd was, it, it almost seemed, it didn't seem like a normal sports crowd either. It almost seemed like a bunch of like gang members were there, you know? It was a really rough crowd and drunk and angry, you know? I heard that there could have been a gang element yeah. related to that event. It, it definitely felt that way. And I'd been to Dodger Stadium a couple times before that and I never felt like that. That was there was something strange going on there that night. It was it was not right. And the guy the guy had brain damage afterwards, right? Yeah, he they really sc- he was a paramedic. That's what his job was. Yes, that's true. Yeah. He was a paramedic Jesus. and he got uh it was a life altering thing for him, you know. Yeah. He's permanently uh disabled from that. And he's lucky they didn't kill him. They beat the shit out of him to the point where they almost killed him. Stories like that, uh, it, it, you know, when it brings the worst in people, it's such a bummer. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's try and... Uh, bring it back up. Yes, yeah, so bring <laughs> it back up. Yes. All right, so next question. If you could have dinner with three people, dead or alive, language not an issue, who would it be? How about John F. Kennedy... Martin Luther King and Bono. All right, that works. I, that would be a good trio. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. I absolutely. think Bono would have a lot to say with those two. Would you? And uh, yeah, actually, I, I forgot one small detail about that question. You could have people at any stage of their life, like uh, you could have JFK before his career in politics or in early '63. Yeah, your choice. I would say JFK a year after elected. Martin Luther King, a year before he was assassinated, and Bono, a year after Joshua Tree came out. <laughs> All right. That works. Yeah. And what would be on the menu? Ooh, gosh. I think, uh, well, JFK and Martin Luther King, they strike me as the steak and potatoes type of guys, you know? And Bono, well, you're, for all I know, he might be a vegetarian or something like that. So probably had a, his share of potatoes back in Ireland as yeah, well. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
No, just a real, a real basic meat and potato. Uh, uh, you know, nothing, uh, nothing fancy. That works. Absolutely. And okay, next question. What's the biggest surprise you've had over the last few months? The fact that uh, people are unwilling to sacrifice for the betterment of uh, their society. I mean, we've been tested this last six months, the last 18 months, mm-hmm. right? We've been tested and a lot of people failed the test. Yes. You know, wear the damn mask when you go to the store. Is it that hard? You know? It was just surprising to me to see how many people bitched and moaned and complained about having to wear a mask or in those early days of the pandemic, hey, just just stay home for a few weeks, you know, mm-hmm. or don't hoard all the toilet paper. Yes. You know? <laughs> that was a low point. I mean, we saw a lot of good examples too, right? We saw a lot of good examples of doctors, nurses, essential workers, and the way they went above and beyond right? Mm, yes. But boy, we saw some bad examples too, that when the shit hits the fan, boy, there are a lot of people you can't count on to do the right thing, you know? That's true. And that was surprising in a bad way. That was surprising to you? Well, it is. I mean, it was surprising because of, uh, maybe it was surprising to me because of some of the people I know mm-hmm. who were the ones that let me down. Ah, okay. Okay. You know, people that I know who actually work in healthcare and refused to go along with safety protocols and poo-pooed it as a a hoax. And it's like, you work in healthcare for crying out loud, you know? They should know better. Yes. Yeah. So wow. I saw some of that and it was disappointing. Yeah. Must have been. Next question. What keeps you up at night? You know what? I got to say something. Not much keeps me up at night. I'm not that type of person like mm-hmm. that worries a lot and stays awake at night, you know, worrying because of it. I think I mentioned earlier, my son was hired by Oakland Fire Department and yes. he recently got off probation. Mm-hmm. That kept me up at night a little bit, worrying, like hoping, okay, God, I hope he makes it. I hope he makes it. And that's just because you want your kids to have a good, steady job and, you know, security. And because he had a rough time, you know, did I tell you, I think I mentioned his dog died Right when he was going through a really tough part of his probation. I don't think you mentioned that, no? Yeah, his dog okay. unexpectedly died. And it was hard for him. You know, it was it was rough. It was not a walk in the park. And he made it through. I was so proud of him. So there were a couple nights, I guess, when that worried me a little bit. You know, I can remember laying in bed and thinking about it and praying about it. But for the most part, you know, I worry about things during the day a little bit. But once up my head hits the pillow, I usually fall asleep pretty quick. Okay. And dry, it drives my wife nuts because she's <laughs> she's not a good sleeper. You know, she has a lot of sleep difficulties, you know, get falling asleep. And she's like, man, it must be nice to, you know, your head hits your <laughs> pillow. And 30 seconds later, I hear you snoring over there. I'm like, hey, that's just how it is, you know. <laughs> I don't have any control over it. How long is a probation when you're starting? For him, it was two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's a long time. So that means uh, one strike and you're out or? It could be. Okay. Basically, it means they could get rid of you at any point during that time. Ah, okay. Like they could say, hey, look, you're not cutting it, or we don't think you're, you know, we made a mistake, you're not the right guy. You know, because once you pass probation, and then you're part of the union. Mm. So then it's like, they can't just get rid of you on a whim, right? But when you're on probation, they could, you know, they technically, Mm. they could just say, hey, you know what, you're out of (laughs) here. Okay. And so that created some worry. Stress, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. 
All right. Uh, next question. What is your fork in the road moment, the pivotal moment in your life? Well, my, my fork in the road, well, probably, you know, when I was trying to get on with the fire department, we'd go do our, you know, and I was testing to get hired. I explained earlier, you had a written test and then a physical agility and then an oral interview. Mm -hmm. Well, the department that I got hired for, I can still remember the day I did my physical agility. One of the events was a hose pull where you had to grab a hose line and they had some cones set up and you had to pull it down the middle of these cones. Okay. And then at one point it made a sharp right-hand turn. So you had to pull the hose out and then pull it to the right. Mm -hmm. And you had to do it in eight seconds, you know, wh whatever the time was. And so when they said go, I remember pulling that hose and I pulled it out straight. And then when I went to the right, I probably should have pulled it out straight a little farther. Because mm -hmm. as you make that right turn, it kind of pulls you back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And when I went around that final cone, I basically had to kind of tiptoe my way around that cone because you couldn't knock the cone over either. Okay. And I basically tiptoed around that cone and just passed it, you know, just in the nick of time. And I often think to myself, how would my life be different if I would have hit that cone or if I would have missed that time, you know, by a fraction of a second and I would have been eliminated? Who knows what would have happened? You know what I mean? Because I wouldn't have got hired by my department and It's something as minute as that could have changed the whole way my life went after that. Maybe you would have been hired much later in a different uh, city. Yeah. Maybe you would have lost confidence and go on to another career. Yeah. It would have been a true test of the butterfly effect, you know? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. That's true. All right. Okay. So next and last question. It links up a little bit to a previous question, but... What tells you the most about a person? Hmm. What tells me the most about a person? Well, you know what? Have you ever heard um, the definition of the word integrity is something to the effect of doing the right thing even when no one else notices or, you know what I mean? Or okay. doing the right thing even when you don't get credit for it. Mm -hmm. So a person's integrity, I mean, come on, that's kind of what the root of each of us is, right? Yeah. Do we do the right thing? Is that our uh, default mode? Yeah. Or is our default mode to like try to get away with it, get away with something <laughs> yeah. or always try to pull a scam and always try to take a shortcut, you know? Do we do the right thing even when we don't have to? Yeah. yeah. Pretty Maybe, much. You know what? That might be the definition of integrity. Okay. Doing the right thing even when you don't have to or even when no one knows it or even if you don't get credit for it. So, I mean... Shit, that tells you all you need to know about a person, right? Because that also tells you, are they going to be there for you when you need them? Are they going to be there for you, even if it maybe puts them out a little bit? Or You know what I mean? Yeah. Are they going to be willing to suffer a little bit for you the way you, you'd be willing to suffer for them? Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's a good answer. And it was a new question, actually. So this is a good first answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So yeah, that's the questions. Mm -hmm. Well, first, I, I have to thank you for your time. It was fantastic. Tons of great anecdotes. I had a great time. I hope you did as well. <laughs> oh, I did. It's great. Yeah. Awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Where can we find you online? Well, I'm on Facebook, you know, Tom Neuerberg, N-E-U-E-R-B-U-R-G. And I'm on Instagram. I don't know what my name is on there. I think my name on there is Pulp Tom. And then I'm on Twitter, 
Twitter is where I do my ranting and raving, you know, <laughs> okay. like when it comes to like my politics and stuff. And don't follow me on Twitter unless you, uh, you know, you don't mind seeing some F-bombs or something because I'm always on my best behavior, you know, on Facebook and Instagram for the most part. Twitter is where I, that's where I let my rage flow. Let loose. <laughs> <laughs> You're not too ranty on, on Twitter, I don't think. No. Well, that's where I do all my, most of my politic ranting and raving You know, it's funny being in the fire department, you know, especially my last, let's say the last 10 years of my career, mm -hmm. you know, that's when social media really took off and our chiefs and our, our higher ups, you know, within the fire department, they really did keep an eye on our social media. And so I was always very cognizant of that. And I tried not to use, you know, profanity or anything mm -hmm. like that on Facebook. Plus my mom and dad are on there and my family and, you know. But uh, on Twitter, uh, I let loose on there sometimes. Uh, yeah, but that's where you can find me. All right. Sounds great. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will talk again soon. Thanks.